calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Missives from the World of Brass, Chapter 9, Intermittent Correspondence. It is a frosty but still winter evening, and the airship HMS Thomas Carlyle floats gently at its mooring platform over central London. The passengers sit in their cabins or on the observation deck, watching the preparations for the ship's departure. In a large stateroom, near the prow of the colossal dirigible, a woman sits at an elegant desk, writing a note on embossed stationery. December 24th. 1886. My dear Madeleine, so many years have passed since our last correspondence. I cannot help but feel that I owe you a letter. Regrettably, this may be the last one you ever receive from me. Oh, I do not say this positing either self-harm or as some prophecy of doom. I am, as you well know, a survivor. In many ways that we have spoken of when you and I shared wine, meals, and more. I survived my childhood and the husband who beat me, once, that is, before he could never beat anyone again. Since we last spoke, I survived the destruction of my salle, my career, and what I once was told was great physical beauty. While powder and rouge can do wonders, some of the scars on my face are très difficile to work around. Still, I have kept my figure and my wits and, of course, my sword. By now, I expect you have managed to figure it all out. You are a superb detective, ma chère. And I always knew, if our paths crossed, I should be tasked to the utmost to keep the upper hand. I could not operate as the angel of blood in London without coming to your attention. But I believed if my men were outfitted with a wide variety of exotic weapons, you would be distracted by this novelty, and therefore ignore any common circumstances between the crimes. One of your few faults has always been an overactive intellect distracted by uncommon details. Or, as I have repeated to you often after about, you think too much. This then is the story. When you told me four years ago of your upcoming international tour for queen and country, I was in more perilous circumstances than you could know. The demands that I vacate my style were becoming not just insistent, but increasingly sinister. I was visited by several men who said I should relocate, that a new developer had plans for the whole street, and my stubbornness was costing important people time and money. I drove out the ruffians at the tip of my blade. You would say, of course, that I should have told you immediately, made a clean breast of it. But I felt foolish, 
and you were preoccupied with your upcoming journey, your troublesome children, and that stupid husband of yours. I suppose he's not stupid, but he is your husband and took up far too much of your time. After you left, matters escalated. I still maintain I could have beaten the half-dozen men that next appeared, but for the firearms they brandished and the chloroform they administered. I awoke, my face bleeding from their tortures, tied to a post, with my sal filled with smoke and the ominous crackle of unseen flames. Lacking a blade, my teeth sufficed, and I was through the ropes at my wrists in time to crawl out of the room and half fall down the stairs to the street. As I wandered off, dazed, I heard the approaching bell of the fire brigade, who would arrive far too late for my salle and the entire building, stumbling free of the inferno, watching my past collapse under the red-hot timbers. I knew that for my own sake, I must die that night. So I did, leaving England the next morning under an assumed name. The years that followed, I spent reforging myself into a keen weapon of revenge, for I knew that only men and money were responsible for what had happened to me. If I followed the pay from the common ruffians to the man with the checkbook, I could climb their gallows trees until I reached those in the uppermost branches. To learn what I must know of such criminals, it was necessary that I become one myself. For il faut un voleur pour attraper un autre voleur. Or as you say, with less elegance in English, it takes a thief to know a thief. But I knew I must be careful. In returning to London as a criminal boss, it was inevitable that I would cross paths with you and your family. This meant that while my attacks against my enemies must be bold and decisive, I also needed feints, as many as I could manage. Given that you are a master of this game, and I am still a beginner, so, faint, the angel of blood. A new criminal boss comes to London. Faint. Two dozen criminals are hired, and offers of service made to the crime bosses complicit in my destruction. Faint. Crimes across the city carried out using diverse weapons from different cultures. While the exotic nature of these arms might attract your attention, following up the leads from each case would, I hoped, take time. The basic strategy is the same as with a sword. Always plan in advance and keep your enemy at a distance until you are prepared to strike. And then I struck. Repeated boss against boss, criminal against criminal. In the space of a week, three dozen of them had died, all by each other's hands. And among them, every man who had come to my cell. Then I turned to the leaders, destroying their warehouses, robbing their dens. The coup de grace was Sir Pemberley, the man with the check who'd seen the most profit from the deal. <laughs> that one I enjoyed very much, for I had him at sword point in fear of his life. When you strike, even if it's not with a killing blow, you must do so with a fatal intent. Against you, ma chère, I was not prepared to strike. I leave 
your city with a few regrets. While I have gained a fortune in jewelry and bonds and brought some of my enemies to justice, others have evaded me. Somehow, my assassins failed with that half-witted Vincent Law and the loathsome antiquarian. Assuming you are willing to share Sir Pemberley's ledger with the police, I imagine that gentleman's troubles are just beginning. Now, the conspiracy against me is broken, and although my revenge is not complete, it is satisfactory. My greatest regret, ma chère, is not being able to see you again. My pride kept me from seeing you before you left London, and the present circumstances make a rendezvous impossible, for you are a woman who has a professional reputation to uphold and I would hate to be known as the criminal that Madeline Brass could not catch. It is best as this note reaches you after I have departed your city, and that my identity as the Angel of Blood is kept strictly between us. Joyeux Noël, mon cher, until we meet again. Steward? Madam? Can you take this message out to the mail before we depart, if we play? Oh, I could just make it. Uh, though, uh, here's a thing. I've got a message for you. Good, what? Oh, cabin B-13. Oh, wait. Oh, I suppose it's a mistake. Oh? Yes, it's this cabin, all right. But according to the manifest, you're a Madame Colucci. And this is for a Madame Dreyfus. Ah, good friend in Paris. <laughs> I am entrusted with her correspondence. All right, then. There you go. And there you go. Bonsoir, Stuart. Securia. My dear Evangeline, upon deducing your existence after your presumed death, I was, of course, overjoyed. Though, given the circumstances of your return, it was not an unalloyed joy. Your presence in my city as the Angel of Blood went unnoticed by me an embarrassingly long time. And it's true that you threw so many clues and anomalies from so many different directions that I was much later in fitting the puzzle pieces together than is usual. Yet I did so. Thanks to the work of Gwendolyn and Cyril, my children you always claimed was simply a distraction. As to how I deduced your Madame Colucci alias and your planned departure for the continent this evening, this was thanks to the work of my husband. The man you often referred to as dull and unimaginative. His inquiries revealed while there was no recent word in Paris of a Madame Dreyfus, there was quite a bit of news of Madame Colucci, a mysterious woman with facial scars who'd arrived in the capital four years ago and swiftly found birth in the more outré and dangerous fringes of society. Still, once I discerned that your plans for revenge were indeed justified, I was tempted to let you carry them out as you wished. The men who destroyed your life deserved at the very least the financial ruin you visited upon them, and perhaps much worse. The one mistake you made, mon cher involved my children. While it is true that both Gwendolyn and Cyril are perfectly capable of taking care of themselves, you subjected both of them to potentially fatal harm through your henchmen. And for that, I shall not forgive you. You once told me the true botta segreta, the unstoppable blow. 
is the proper attack made in distance at the proper time. If my timing is accurate, your craft has still not left its mooring and you will soon be in the hands of the London Constabulary. timing is just a little bit off, and you have already set sail for the continent, then I suppose, despite my most vigorous efforts, you have escaped. If that is so, bon chance. I do not expect to see you back in my city again, as so long as we both should live. For my great teacher, a woman I respected, admired, and loved, died years ago and I would prefer my memories of her to remain unsullied and undisturbed. Farewell, and happy Christmas. Madeleine Brass Très magnifique, Madeleine. Adieu, mon amour. The airship drifts off from the dock into the still December evening, and as the woman looks down onto the lights of London, she smiles. Grass Missive's Intermittent Correspondence was performed by Mary Muffin Bailey as Madame Dreyfus with Kate Cray as Lady Brass. It was written and directed by Jean Longenbar with original music by Bruce Monroe and edited by Catherine Grant Sutty. To listen to more of The Adventures of Brass, find us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, and please do consider posting a review. It is such a pleasure to hear from our listeners.